0: Tonight, um, I'm picking up from last week. We opened up Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, which says this: "says uh, the people who know their God will display strength and take action. The people who know their God, their God, will display strength and take action." The context of this verse is in the realm of where God is giving warning in the prophecy of Daniel saying there's an army coming from the west, there's a magnitude coming from the north, there's a, a fleet coming from the east. I mean, in all directions, people are descending upon the nation. And the response that God prophesies through Daniel is this, is that the people who know their God will display strength and take action. And so we centered last week around the whole concept of knowing God. We're centered around what does it mean to really know God because I shared my story about how I knew God, but I didn't know God. And there's a very specific reason is that how you were brought into the kingdom, how you became into a relationship with Jesus, that mechanism usually determines how you know God. For example, I was saved about 30 times under the pretext of if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? And my entire salvation was not based out of a loving, choosing a savior who died for me. It actually was me running away from hell. I didn't love Jesus. I just didn't want to burn in hell. It's the entire reason I gave my life to Christ. And so I had this fire insurance Christianity that drove my entire relationship with God. I realized I knew everything about God, but I didn't know his voice. And I found that problematic. So I could tell you different stories in the Bible. I could tell you things about Jesus. I could do all those things. But when it came to it, do I really have a relationship with Jesus? It wasn't there. And even in my attempts to evangelize people, right, we replicate after our own kind. The best thing I could do to bring people to Jesus would, would be to de- describe hell. And That's a terrible way to reason people into the kingdom. And so it had my relationship with Jesus be completely fear-based. Not love-based, And so our challenge last week was to examine how you're brought into the kingdom. Do you have a love-based relationship, or do you have a fear-based relationship? Because the precursor to displaying strength, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, depends upon how do you know God. So what does it mean to display strength? The people who know their God will display strength. What does it mean to display strength? And the kind of strength that God means here is the kind of strength that comes from knowing God, like we talked about last week, about knowing him in a love-based relationship, not a fear-based. And like I said, if all that you know about a God is that you're running from hell, then you really don't know God at all. And you really won't know what real strength is. If you don't know who God is and have that relationship with him, your idea of strength is completely different from God's idea of strength. So what does your idea of strength look like? If you have a fear-based relationship with God, or you bought the Christian insurance fire insurance policy, what does your idea of strength look like? You know what it is? It's perfectionism. If you're not in a love-based relationship with God, your single identification of me being strong is my ability not to sin. It's the only realm of understanding we have with strength when we are driven to God by fear of hell is that we are driven to self-perfection, self-examination, and self-righteousness. And since you're scared as hell about hell, your response will be a fear-based cycle of sin management, which pretty much describes 20 years of my life. Here's the thing is that The single way that I thought I knew how to love God was to not sin. When you're brought into a fear-based relationship with God, when you're brought into the kingdom out of fear and you're running from hell, the single way that you know actually how to show and demonstrate love for God is actually to not sin, which is completely the wrong idea. They're not mutually exclusive, but just because I don't sin doesn't mean I'm loving God. Just like, I didn't cheat on my wife today, so I love you. Like, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) Controlling your sin actually has zero to do with loving God. Amen? And I get it. That was me. I didn't know God, so the closest thing I knew for how to show that God that I loved him was to not drink, not swear, Not have sex, though I had lots of options. Um, Not to do drugs, not to do all these things. (laughs) I wish I had really strong resistance there. But my identity became purely about I don't do these things. What's interesting is that the things I didn't do became larger and more significant than who God was. It wasn't that I loved God so much as like I love not doing all these things because that's the only way I know that I love God. The only way I can prove that I'm a Christian is I'm not doing these things. Look how much I love Jesus. And so my definition of, of strength was completely measured by how little I sinned and my strength was solely about sin avoidance. Does anybody feel like that's familiar? That was my entire life. But defining yourself by a negative is a really lame thing to do. It's like uh, someone asking me, what's your favorite food? And be like, well, I hate tomatoes. That doesn't help at all. Uh, What's the color white like like? Well, it's not like black. Well, that doesn't help either. What's riding a dirt bike like? Well, it's not like a horse, which is actually very true because a dirt bike has a throttle and brakes and doesn't have a brain and doesn't bite and kick, but that's besides the point. God's idea of strength is not measured by your ability to not do something. Though yours is, his idea of strength has nothing to do with your ability to withstand and resist. But sadly, it's the only definition we have been raised to know. If you are brought into the kingdom from fear, the only way that you know how to demonstrate strength is to not sin. It's important for you to change your definition about what strength is, because if you don't, you're setting yourself for ruin in your relationship with God. There's an article that recently got posted. Maybe you've seen this floating around on Facebook. It comes under the provocative title. I've been seeing like ping pong around. Have you guys seen this? I waited until my wedding night to lose my virginity, and I wish I hadn't. Has anybody seen this on Facebook? Yeah. Here's the story. Is A woman basically writes this entire article about how she strived her entire life to preserve her virginity and how after her wedding night and subsequently early on to her marriage, she regretted it. Here's a story. She grew up in a Baptist church, really plugged in and involved in everything. And in the fourth grade, when she was 10 years old, she gave a pledge that I will not have sex until I'm married. I'm gonna commit my life to my future husband. And she wore her virginity like a badge of honor. You can read all about this if you'd like. And she publicly shared her pledge with other people. And she was elevated and recognized as this like model Christian girl. And her whole entire recognition of her purity became her identity. She basically became the mascot for what it looks like to be a a clean Christian gal that loves God. Look how much she loves God. She's saving herself for marriage. And after the wedding night, she was crushed with guilt every single time she was intimate with her husband. Her identity as the untainted princess has now been tainted and ruined. Her religious strength had been built by restraining from sex until she was married. And now it is ruining all of her intimacy with her husband. She basically describes how intimacy with her husband was the worst thing ever for her life because she dreaded it. It reinforced all the guilt that she was trying to avoid her entire life. And so she had to choose. She said, I had to choose. I either had to choose either intimacy with my husband or I had to choose to eliminate the source of my guilt. And the source of her guilt was her faith. She says, and I chose sex. Now, most Christians would look at that story. If they didn't know the backstory of how she actually walked away from her faith, they'd say, that's a model Christian gal preserving herself. She really demonstrated strength with all the temptation, with all the challenges. She demonstrated faith in what it means to be a strong Christian woman. But again, this is not the type of strength that God desires. Her strength, like my strength, was basically rooted in fear. And it's really religious perfectionism disguised as strength. So I challenge you, And all the reasons you choose not to do something, are you driven by religious perfectionism? Do you actually get a little rise? Do you you hold a badge of honor like, I have never done this. I'm there. For a long time, I was like, I've never had a sip of alcohol. And I was like all like amped about it. And I actually, I I was one of those people who saved myself from marriage. I didn't have the issues that this gal did. And I was like, woohoo. But other areas though, but other areas like, I'll I'll admit, I was like, I was very proud of like what I didn't do. And all the while having this hollow relationship with Jesus. And I would never mention this story except that she has made her story public. And it's been a public conversation around the churches. So it gives me the position actually to respond to it. Because I believe it's on a lot of people's minds. And this is it. Here's the honest truth about this woman. I've never met her, but I'd tell this to her face is that she loved her virginity more than she loved Jesus. You really want to know the hidden truth behind this article. You look at it and you see someone who actually never loved Jesus at all. She loved the idea of what the virginity made her. Because when her virginity was gone, so was any relationship, any context, any value of Jesus disappeared. And not only did this woman not love Jesus... The sad thing is God was never involved in the pledge. The fourth grade pledge, the 10-year-old little girl who pledged, I, God wasn't there. Notice the conversation and the conviction that she has in describing why she made the pledge. And we might have it. The church taught me that sex was for married people. Extramarital sex was sinful and dirty. And I would go to hell if I did it. This woman was fear-mongered into purity, just like her relationship with Jesus. She thought that she had strength, but real strength is rooted in knowing God. And when you know God the way that I hope that you do, your life doesn't fail like this. Your faith doesn't fail like this. And her example shows us that anyone can be scared into obedience. Fear is a great motivator. Right? Right? don't text while you drive. Like, don't be late for work. Don't eat that hamburger. I actually snapped a picture of Eric at um, a McDonald's the other day. I was like, on a th- I'm going to threaten him. I'm going to post it on Facebook, so I'll just mention it now for retribution. <laughs> Fear is dangerous. Remember, uh, I still remember like the images in high school, the scared straight program of like, the drunk driving, like, like they bring, like, a mangled car in your gymnasium. Like, it has blood on it. Like, are you kidding me? It's crazy. And so fear, whether you like it or not, is a great motivator. But the problem is it's very toxic in the relationship with God. And here's why. There's a major problem any time that fear is involved with your relationship with God. And like Camille said this is that perfect love casts out fear. God is love, and perfect love casts out fear. Therefore, God is actually not interested at all in any instrument of fear driving you to him. When you're driven by fear to God, it's, it's against his own mission. It's counterproductive. He is trying to drive out fear to you to draw you near him. And if you're being driven near to him by fear, he's going to take it, but he doesn't want you to be in that context. He wants to turn that around. He's welcome that you got in the room, but he's like, I don't want that to be the basis for my relationship with you. It's so important that you understand that God never partners in fear to bring you closer to him. And so scaring someone into obedience, this is what it does. When you scare someone into obedience, you'll win their obedience and you'll win their flesh. But you're going to lose their heart. You scare someone into obedience, you win their flesh, but you lose their heart. But when you win someone's heart, you know what you win? You win the desire for obedience. When you win someone's heart, you don't win their obedience necessarily, but you win the desire that their heart would be for being obedient. You see, obedience is a byproduct of relationship. It's not the basis of a relationship. Obedience is the byproduct of relationship. It's not the basis for it. Let me tell you a couple things. It's, it's not hard for me to be faithful to my wife. I'm like, oh, I need so many accountability groups. You know, like, my love relationship for her allows me to guard myself. She's never, like, asking me how I'm doing. Like, i like, I do a good job on my love for her. I guard myself something else i'm intentional about what i what goes in my mind so you're like hey have you seen this movie no i'm like the lamest person you've ever met i I don't i couldn't tell you what's popular on radio right now i couldn't tell you what movies are going on right now because all the movies frankly stink and they're rated r and they have the scenes that are so unnecessary and so i've 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 made a mark of my life I, i don't watch rated r movies it sounds so prudish and so lame but you know what it's not a boundary that God has set for me. It's one for me that I actually have set. I love my relationship with God. I don't want all those things clouding my life because I love him. Man, you know, I'm, I'm not like, God, look how much I love you by you know, not watching radio movies. No, it's not about that at all. It's like, I love you so much. Like, if, if there's even a chance that it's going to cloud my mind, my heart, my flesh, it's not worth it. You need to decide in your life, do you live in the gray or do you live in the black and white? So many people like ask, well, how oh, like the classic dating, how far is too far? You know, that, that, that nature of that question is just it's terrible because <laughs> your mentality is how much can I get away with? If you're asking yourself in my relationship with God, how much can I get away with? You have the wrong mentality. You probably have a fear-based mentality. You have a fear-based relationship because a love-based relationship with God asks, how can I best protect myself? How can I best protect this person? Your obedience is a byproduct of relationship, not the basis for it. This woman had it the other way around. She was expecting that because she was obedient that it produced relationship with God. She was trying to accomplish relationship with God through a symbolic form of obedience when actually there's no substance for relationship with God there because the moment that that foundation shook, her relationship with God evaporated. And so when your obedience does not originate from relationship, your identity becomes linked to your obedience. When your obedience does not originate from relationship, when your obedience does not originate from me loving God and me in a loving relationship with him, when it's not linked there, your identity becomes linked to your obedience. Let me put it this way. How do you know whether or not your strength Whether you have strength or whether you are a religious perfectionist. How do you know whether you have strength or religious perfectionism? It's found in this answer it's when you fall, does your identity fall with you? When you fall, does your identity fall with you? If you don't know who you are when you fall, if you fall, you're like, I don't know who I am. If you're saying those things, then you've built your identity around good behavior. The sign of a strong Christian is someone who stumbles, who falls, but doesn't question who they are, doesn't question who God is, doesn't question God's love for them. Doesn't question, God, why? I have a really challenging relationship right now. And it's so combative against like, the why of God Like, ah, God owes me all this stuff, and it's just, why? And struggle comes, and the identity falls. Struggle comes, the identity falls. You know you have a religious perfectionism identity when you fall and your identity falls. Strength is not measured by whether you fall or not. Strength is measured by how you respond when you do. Strength is not measured by whether or not you fall. Strength is measured by how you respond when you do. I teased the verse last week. Proverbs twenty four sixteen it says, "A righteous man falls seven times but gets back up again." One of the funny Facebook comments I received from that is like, "That righteous man needs glasses," which is very clever. <laughs> Another woman, how many times does a woman get a get up after she falls? I was like, "Well, a woman has to admit she's wrong first, and then maybe then, No, I'm just <laughs> sorry. Whoa. Too bad. Tough crowd. <laughs> there might be some marital consequences for that one. But the, the Bible describes the nature of a right, So, so let, let me say that again because I, I clouded it with that silly joke. A righteous man falls seven times. It doesn't say a righteous man never falls. It says a righteous man falls seven times but gets back up again. Meaning the Bible defines the righteousness of a man not based on the absence of him falling but that he gets back up. It's so important to know that your righteousness is not based on your good behavior. It's based upon that you never quit. You never get let down. You never get held down. Amazing story. Peter, before he's about to betray and deny Jesus three times, Jesus says this to him, foretelling his betrayal. Jesus says to uh, Peter, says, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And when you have returned back... Strengthen your brothers. When you turn back, Peter's like, I'm not gonna do that. And Jesus already is foretelling him, you're gonna fall, but you need to get back up. Peter, you're gonna fall. You have to get back. I'm telling you now, don't never mind that Satan's gonna come after you. Just remember to rise back up. Why? Because your brothers need to be strengthened. It didn't say, Peter, when you get back up, go lead a Bible study. It didn't say, Peter, when you get back up, resign from ministry. It didn't say, Peter, when you get up, like, remove yourself from all church activities and all friends and have a big pity party for yourself and delete your Facebook. It didn't say that. Where do we get all these ideas? It says, get back up and strengthen your brothers, because the greatest testimony that you can give to the strength of God of your salvation is that you fall and you rebound and you get back up. You say, that's not going to define me. It's not going to keep me down, because... A, a man who rebounds and is strong is much more powerful to me than a man who's thrown a pity party for himself I don't want to hear about how you're wallowing in sin I don't want to hear about how sorry you are I want to know are you back up again are you getting back in the game I don't find the reason why we, we, we feel that we need to punish ourselves ah I, I, I fell and so therefore I'm totally unqualified now to do anything for Jesus Like I don't, I don't find that in my Bible do you Every single time I see God restoring someone, he's like, get back up. Abraham, whom all nations will be blessed. Remember, he's like Old Testament dude. The line of Christ will come through you, and you're gonna have offspring. And he's like, I'm 100 years old, and the machine's not working anymore. He's like, I don't know how this is gonna work. Abraham had a whole lot of challenges before him. He had a whole lot of obstacles about on the horizon for him. And the Bible describes it as this, in hope against hope. I mean, you know something's bad when it's in hope against hope. We're like, it's really bad. Uh, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. And Abraham faced all sorts of challenges, discouragement, he even succumbed to his own control and took a concubine, another woman who, a younger chicken that could give him a child, if you will. He totally messed it up. He totally messed it up. But he got back up again. And you know how the Bible describes Abraham? This is in Romans 4.21. It says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith, and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what He promised. Do you recognize some of the operative words there? Waver, unbelief, strengthen, fully persuaded, power, and promise. Here's what I'd like to do as I end Is what I'd like to finally define for you what strength is, when it's rooted in relationship. Strength, when rooted in relationship with Jesus, I believe produces this, and it's, strength is the unwavering and fully persuaded belief in the power and promises of God created by relationship in him. Strength is the unwavering and fully persuaded belief in the power and promises of God. You can apply the power and promises of God to any circumstance. That your sins are as far as the east is from the west. We talk so much about our sins, but we need to hold on to the promises of God in Isaiah 43, 25, that I am he who blots out your sins and I, for my own sake, remember them no more. In your challenge and your struggle as you fall, you need to grab onto that and you need to say, yes, this is what's important. Though my sin is is, is yapping in my ear and trying to get me down, I am going to hold on to the promises of God. I'm going to be fully persuaded. If the Bible restores you, you should believe the Bible, not the enemy. You need to decide who has the stronger opinion. Is it your own voice of guilt and shame or is it the Bible? That's strength. And the proof of that strength is that you get back up whenever you fall and is created by relationship, not obedience. Obedience can never produce the resilience where you rise up again. Only relationship in God and being fully persuaded and believing the power of the promise of God is what will bring you back from the ground back up. And as long, this is important, there's only one way to be defeated as a Christian the only way that you can actually fail as a Christian is this is that when you get knocked down is you don't get back up it's actually the only way that you can give the enemy power is that if you refuse to get back up have many of you guys seen the movie The Truman Show I'm trying to refrain from the cliche like showing a movie clip it's kind of like the trendy pastor thing to do I'm going to describe it. The ending scene, right? So the so Truman Show, it's, um, it's a movie that was out like 30 years ago probably by now. I don't know. <laughs> Jim Carrey, and he's essentially in this huge dome, this big reality show. Every detail of his life is captured 24-7, and he's in this artificial reality. And he begins to question, he begins to like, wonder, like, I think there's truth out there. I think there's something else more. And so the masterminds, the people who are orchestrating the whole entire world and scenario, they're doing everything they can to keep him in fear. Even down to where he was young, he had his um, fame like drowned, so they made him like completely fearful of water. They designed and engineered him that he would never explore. But the movie goes where he begins to question, and in the final scenes, it finds him on a boat. Finds him on a boat going towards the edge, facing his fears. And the mastermind, looking up from the dome, looking down, is like, I'm going to try and and scare him back. If I can just produce fear in him, he'll turn around and he'll stop questioning. I'll totally destroy any motivation, any desire for the knowledge and truth. And it starts out with like waves and then it goes with wind. And eventually there's lightning bolts and there's waves and more wind, more waves. And eventually capsizes the boat. He falls in the water. He looks like he's going to drown. He climbs back up. He wrestles the mast up. He pulls on and takes his fist and he shakes it up in the sky and says, Is that the best you can do? <coughs> the mastermind knew it was over. That's when he surrendered. That's when he's like, That kind of relentless pursuit of truth has no stopping. The question is, are you going to live your life the same? The people who know their God will display strength. You have a resiliency. You have a commitment, a relentless truth and pursuit that says, no matter what captures me, whatever holds me now, I will refuse to be held down. I will get back up. The people who know their God will display strength and take action. We'll talk about action next week. I love you guys.